This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Okay, it's our favorite uh, day of the week in some respects. The mailbag questions coming up, all answered 100% correctly, or your money back. And uh, before we get started, Steve Versnick, I don't know if you checked out my timeline lately. You got some people riled up there, but I don't even get it. Like they're they're fired up that they think I'm fired up about Tom Brady not being fired up after the game and not not answering many questions. Let me let me set the record straight, as they say. Number one, I don't care. Okay, I don't care that Tom Brady doesn't feel like talking, doesn't want to say anything. I really don't. It's it's his prerogative. He's only there because he's required the coach and the quarterback have to speak twice. Well, the coach has to speak several times during the week. Quarterback has to speak once. The coordinators have to each speak once. Uh, The coach has, I think, three availabilities during the week. And in postgame, you must get the coach and the quarterback. Okay, Those are agreements that are sort of like reached with the Pro Football Writers Association and the NFL and the NFLPA. Okay. Beyond that, so so you could get fined if you're a quarterback and you don't show up, et cetera. So th- there is an obligation there, right? But it's two times a week. That's it. Two times. Once on Thursday. And there's no, like, minimum, you know, you, you have to be there for five minutes, 20 minutes, answer all these. It, it, it's just availability, right? Say something, don't say something, whatever. So, you know, our jobs, I hate to try to explain what we do, but, I mean, basically, you know, we're there to serve our readers, which in this case, if you're interested in the Bucks, you're probably a Bucks fan. Or maybe you hate the Bucks, or maybe you hate Brady, it doesn't matter. But you're interested in some outcome or some perspective following the game, following the practice, following whatever, um, to get to gain knowledge about this football team. I get paid to go out there and try to extract that knowledge because I have access and you don't. Right? So I'm I'm kind of there, believe it or not, for our readers, serving our readers, the fans, whatever. Okay, so it's helpful, win or lose, to get the perspective of the quarterback because he sees the game in a in a in a way that no other position does. You know, the left tackle has got his assignment, and his he's not his head is not up looking at what happened on the route or what happened in the in the secondary, et cetera. So the quarterback's perspective is the most important one on the field, at least when they're on offense. So clearly, we're going to talk to the quarterback. Well, you know. Brady rarely loses, <laughs> ever. Like games, certainly not postseason games and not many Super Bowls, but, you know, one of the great things about him is he's so unusually driven. I mean, even at, at age 44, he freaking hates to lose. And all these guys do. They're professionals. They pour a lot into it during the week, a lot of hours, a lot of pain, a lot of sweat just to prepare for three hours on Sunday. And you put all this in, and then you don't get the outcome that you thought you would get. It's very disappointing for both, for either side. So, of course, he's not going to be in a great mood after a loss. I mean, it's palatable. It's, you know, you can feel the room get cold uh, when he walks in. And everybody understands he's the supreme competitor. So, really, the last two weeks have not have not been uh, very productive from a press camp conference standpoint. Again, 
trying to extract perspective, his perspective on what occurred, what we just saw and why it happened. And so, you know, on Sunday was the shortest, I think, he has been, maybe any quarterback has been since I've been covering the team in three decades. He came in. He said, okay, who wants to go first? Got to make it short. And we had waited from the last interview to his about 20 minutes for him to come in because he was last and we were waiting. Um, we're all on deadline. We got stories to write, whatever. That's fine. That's our job. We're going to sit there until the quarterback shows up, and he does. And he's asked three questions, uh, and he barely answers any of them, or at least his answers are very, you know, he cuts them off. I mean, he's very short to the point, very little to say really about anything. And after three questions, he goes, okay, thanks, guys. And as he starts to walk off, Greg Allman of The Athletic goes, that's it? Like he was there three, he was there under a minute for three questions. And then, you know, it was sort of like he kind of stopped and it was like Nelson Louise, the, the public relations director, said, well, what, you know, maybe I got anything else or something like that. Three more questions were asked, including what happened on the two interceptions, you know, where he goes, well, we started with a ball and they ended up with it. Now, when you, you know, when, you, when that's your, you know, there's no perspective to be gained there. We're just, now we're just wasting each other's time. You know, now you realize he should have left after three questions. If he came in just to not get fined and fulfill his obligation, that's one thing. Now none of us need to be there, you know. And again, I don't take it personally. If Tom Brady wants to talk or not talk, it doesn't change my job. I mean, I, clearly I want his perspective because I think it serves the readers and the fans. But me personally, I'm going to write a story about the game whether he says anything or not. I've already talked to Bruce Arians, Levante David, Devin White, um, Mike Evans. So, you know, I'm good. I watch the game. I can write the story. It's not, you know, again, his perspective is maybe the most valuable. But the head coach has laid out what occurred. Okay? So, on my point to any of this is, and and forgive me, but I'm still trying to remember where was the headline where we wrote Brady, Lee, you know, None of us none of us wrote stories about how short his press conference was. It was an element to the story. I kind of led with the fact that, you know, we didn't see much of him. But you know what? You didn't see much of him in the final 11 minutes of the game either because the defense couldn't get off the damn field. So metaphorically, I kind of used that as a way to jump into a story. I get to do that. It's my story. I can write it however I want. So, But there's no headline that says, you know, Brady storms out after one minute, refuses to – Nobody made a big deal about it, it, you know? But I guess the larger thing is just we're all professionals and we all, you know, respect each other's time is the most precious thing any of us have as human beings, you know? And it's the most viable thing we have is time. We're only here for a certain period of time on earth and we have time to do our jobs and we have time to do, you know, all this other stuff. So, you know, that's when I'm asked about it, and and then all these comments, you mentioned my timeline, Steve. My goodness, people. Like, we didn't all get together in a huddle and start whining and crying and passing around tissues. We None of us really care, you know, from the standpoint of, like, again, doesn't affect our jobs. But, you know, Levante David didn't like losing the game. Devin White didn't like losing the game, you know. I think it hurts them. I think it hurt 52 other guys in that locker room and all the coaches that had poured 100 hours a week and getting the game plan ready that failed. Okay, so, you know, that that's the point. It's like 
if you're not going to, if you're just coming in there to fulfill some obligation so you don't get fined, you know. Who was the Seattle running back that did that, Steve, uh, at the Super Bowl, was it? Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, Marshawn Lynch. I stood underneath uh, at the uh, media day. He was, and he kept repeating, I'm just here so I don't get fined. I'm just here so I don't get fined. He didn't tell us anything. He literally was there so he didn't get fined. <laughs> and I think they may have fined him anyway. But, um, you know, again, we how long are you going to sit there? You know, there's no point in either of us sitting there and, and trying to extract blood from a turnip. You know, it, it just, it's it's not productive for anyone. Them, him, us, the PR guys that had to wait and pull them in there, nobody. So that's the point. There's nothing, there's nothing personal about this. Tom has been, I, th- you know, we've all written about this, like the transition from him from New England and what, you know, he was very Belichickian. You know, the Patriots didn't want these guys saying much about anything. And they took their cues, you know, we're on, on to Cincinnati, we're on to, we're on to whoever Cincinnati. So they, they took their cues from Belichick. Tom gets to Tampa and he finds his voice. And all of a sudden it's like, not only did he find his voice, but it's like he's got some stuff to say. You know, he's talked about union issues. He's talked about all kinds of things. His, you know, his life, uh, his family. Like he's been, he's been as good a Tom Brady as there's been for 21 years of Tom Brady right here in Tampa. And I've had a chance to talk to him and meet him. I got no issues with Brady. None. Okay? But that press conference, that one minute and a half or whatever it was, I I could I could get I could use that time back. You know, cuz that didn't that wasn't good for him, it wasn't good for the fans, it wasn't good for us. And it just and so he spoke about it, by the way, on his podcast. We wrote that story cuz he spoke with Jim Gray. And he basically told Jim he goes we should do these podcasts on Friday so I'm not so ticked off about losing because I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you know, he's just like, um, but he, he said, he goes, look, at my age and what he's accomplished, the expectations are so great. He goes that when you win, it's really just a relief. Think about that. Think about all the games he's played and how hard it is to go out and compete and win a football game. And his attitude is when you win, for me, it's just a relief. But when you lose, I can't. You know, that that's that's just a terrible feeling, and I don't I don't want to talk about it. And and I just, you know, and he says sometimes, and I'm paraphrasing. He says sometimes you forget that about the joy is playing the game. You know, you get to play this game. You know, nobody died, right? There was there was no no one got catastrophically hurt on the field. There's no reason. You know, it's a game. At the end of the day, it's a game. You get paid millions of dollars to play. The kids' game, a game played by eight-year-olds when you start. Um, and, a, and and many of them have you know had a terrific life. And look at all the opportunities that Brady has gotten and taken advantage. He talks about it all the time. How grateful he is. But in that moment, you know, an hour after the game, whatever it was, he's just in a jar. Like he, you know, he forgets. He's admitted. He goes, I, you know, I sometimes I need perspective. I, it takes me a couple days, you know, to to understand. I'm going to learn a lot from this loss. And then Gray goes on to talk about, well, what'd you learn from the loss? All that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of what the timelines, man. You guys on Bucks Twitter, it's a weird place, man. <laughs> Bucks Twitter is a. <laughs> 
May I, and they were reminding me, but may I remind you? But they were reminding me. It's like, well, you should be grateful that you know you got Tom Brady. Who's not? Like, look, every story I write, right, is is even more relevant. And oh, by the way, it's much much of a different scenario than it was for twelve straight years when they weren't making the playoffs. Right? We know how the other half of the NFL lives because the Bucks fans, unfortunately, have had to live there for the, for twelve years before Brady got here from the. You know, they hadn't won a playoff game in 20-something years since they won Super Bowl 37. They just won 55. So how long is that? Let me do the math. I'm not good at math, Steve. What is 55 minus 37? 18. 18 years, folks, before you got to see a playoff victory. How'd that, how'd that work out? Right? So well-versed in how this is a different and, and sometimes better scenario. Now, again, I'm not a fanboy, Right? Some of my best stories was the chaos that has ensued around this place for two decades, okay? Um, so you can look at it any way you want to. But, yes, it's been, it's, it's been Camelot since Brady arrived. They won a Super Bowl in his first year. They were started 6-1, and one, the best record in franchise history. Now they've lost two games in a row. And, you know, no one's jumping off the bridges yet. But, I mean, come on. You know, they're actually fortunate. I mean, you saw what happened um, in the uh, 49ers Rams game. How about that outcome? I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't, this is why I would never gamble on football. But if you told me you knew that San Francisco was going to punk the Rams on Monday night football, man, that was something. So it happens, man. Teams lose to, you know, every, they're all, just remember this whenever you see one team playing another team in the NFL, okay? Each side, each side has the best players in the world. These are the best players in football on both sides. Some have more on one, some have less on the other, but they're all, the 53rd guy on each team is still one of the best in the world at what he does, period. So you can't just go out there and, and, you know, throw your helmets on the ground. I mean, it doesn't work that way, and I think the Bucks learned that lesson. So it's interesting, though. But man, <laughs> people are lighting me up this morning. Man, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> anyway, we got some questions about Tom Brady's press conference. <laughs> uh, we got some questions. I don't know. Are you taking more than three today? <laughs> That's right. In the honor of Tom Brady, I'll be done with this podcast in one minute and forty-five seconds. Go, <laughs> make it quick. I gotta go, and I do. I gotta go, as a matter of fact. But let's go. All right, we'll start with Matt's question. He says, Vita Vea has had two significant injuries the last two seasons. Is the way Todd Bowles is using him in the middle contributing to these injuries? Is he asking too much of Vea? And could he wind up with a short career if he continues to be played the same way? Well, fortunately, this last injury is not, you know, really, let's look at both of them. The first one against the Bears, which was fairly serious, um, he fractured his ankle and and. and I don't know if it dislocated or not. It looked pretty gruesome, but that was just friendly fire. He was making a tackle. That's football, man. You make a tackle. A teammate's trying to make the same tackle, and he strikes you in your in your ankle at full speed with his helmet, and, you know, bones break. I always say this. I got three helmets in my uh, – I don't know if you guys see me do podcast or, or video or stuff in my, in my bonus room up here, but I got three helmets, um, and – I'll tell my girls, I'll say, you know, you know what it's like to play football? Pick up one of those helmets and it, imagine swinging it as hard as you can at any bone in your body, your arm, your leg. You know, that's what it feels like to be hit on a Sunday over and over again. Like, 
you don't realize these guys have this weaponry on and the bones get mashed in that. So the first injury he got was just friendly fire. Can't do anything about it. And he came back like he rehabbed like the whole year, came back in the NFC championship game, made an absolute impact. And I'm convinced that they might not win that Super Bowl without Vita Vea. All right. He only played, you know, that championship in the Super Bowl and they win. This year, this injury, it was unfortunate because it was literally the last offensive play of the game where Washington scores on fourth and goal at the one-yard line. And next thing I know, he's in a cart. I'm like, holy gosh, this is a bad break for the timing of this. Um, they, they're fortunate. Uh, he had a bone bruise, which is nothing. And then he had a slight, they think, MCL strain, okay, or sprain. And they're not even saying he can't bear weight on his leg. They they think he's in pretty good shape as far as structurally goes. Now we'll see, you know, if they want to give him a week or two off uh, to make sure he's going to you know make it through to January. But um, no, the answer is no. Vita Vea is playing the position that he would be born to play in the NFL uh, at his size and in his feet and his ability. Um, there's really nothing the Bucks are doing that's contributing to the injuries other than he's playing professional football. And because of his size and strength, I think he's able to absorb a hell of a lot more punishment than the average guy. I mean, this is one enormously strong and durable man. And it just happens, man. And, you know, if you play for the guys that play inside or interior offensive line, it's a dangerous place to be because you get a lot of bodies that fall over you. And you find yourselves in awkward, you know. Imagine leaning on a guy all this time, and then the pile kind of while you're while you're while you're kind of engaged in a block, and your feet are locked up. Then the pile can sometimes, you know, fall over you inside of you, all that stuff, and it can do damage to your knees. And there's really no way to get out of it. I mean, that's his position. He's an interior defensive lineman. Um, you know, so you know, it, it's just it's bad luck. Um, I think he's been pretty durable for the most part. If he's fortunate that this isn't more serious, and um, I don't think they're the way they use him. They have a rotation, you know. They um, they put you know Nunez Roches in there quite a bit, and different other defensive tackles to. Uh, but you know, Vita Vea plays the majority of the snaps when he can, um, so I think it'll be fine. It's uh, it's just football, man. That's all. That's all this is. All right, Go Snarf had tweeted. He said, I saw virtually no rush get home Sunday, minus Devin White's blitzes. Is age catching up with Ndamukong Sue and Jason Pierre-Paul and complacency getting to Shaq Barrett? Without being able to get to the quarterback on the ground, we will be talking soon about the Byron Leftwich and Kyle Trask era for 2022. Well, let's take a look at that game. Um, I would disagree with you. The rush is not getting home. They had a season-high five sacks. You know, may not have felt like it, but they, they sacked, you know, the Washington quarterback, Taylor Heineke, five times. And one of those sacks was by Indomitian Sioux. <laughs> so, you know, Devin White had two of them, okay? Uh, I think Anthony Nelson came, he was in that rotation we talked about. He had one. You know, Shaq Barrett, like most teams, if you were just looking at the Bucks and you, and you lined them up in front of you, you'd say, okay, who's the game wrecker here, you know? And they have a few of them, right? But... You would, you know, if you're looking at JPP, who is beat up as hell, um, playing, you know, with a bad finger, uh, torn rotator cuff in the shoulder, and all that, and you looked at Chat Barrett, you say, we're going to slide protection to Barrett because we're not going to let that guy beat us because he, you know, he has led the league in sacks before. He's their premier pass rusher off the edge. 
Um, they had a good plan. Washington had a good plan. And, you know, but this was actually one of the games where the Bucks did hit the quarterback. You know, I think Devin White, in addition to his two sacks, had three quarterback hits. I think they hit him eight times in this game and had five sacks. So, turns out Taylor Haneke is one tough cuss, you know. He's, he, he, he got whacked around quite a bit. Now, he avoided probably another four or five sacks. But in this game, they got him on the ground. Now, they just – their problem was first down. They, they yielded too – whether they ran the ball or threw it, they yielded too much yardage on first down. They had a ton of third and shorts. They converted 11 third down situations, which is a lot in a game. To, to convert 11 times on third down is a lot. Once on fourth down, of course, with a touchdown. So – because of their success on first down, the Bucks couldn't get off the field, and that's how they had a ten and a half minute drive. Um, and you know, when you run, when you're able, when you're playing from ahead, the whole the whole key about sacks and things like this, you got to have the lead, man. You know, your sacks, your teams that lead leagues in sacks, they have a, they 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 run away from people. They get into the fourth quarter and they got a two score lead, and then and then the defense can just tee off because they know you're throwing it every down, and they disregard the run entirely. You know. And Bowles has tried to blitz. What Bowles is running into, uh, and they did get home with a couple of them, obviously, but what Bowles is running into is this. The secondary is so beat up, and they're asking so much of those guys that aren't starters in this league. They're starting now, you know, but they're not starters. I mean, they tried to start Richard Sherman. He got hurt before the game. You know, he had a calf injury and warm-ups. So they put D. Delaney out there. He gets a concussion. Well, you're already, you know, you're beginning the game with your third corner is your best guy out there. Like that's that's the only guy that played um, before this year. You have, you know, and that's Jamal Dean. You don't have Murphy Bunning. You don't have Carlton Davis. You don't now. You don't have Richard Sherman. So he's he's four. Now you put D Delaney. He's five. He's out. You're down to your sixth corner. Think about that. Your sixth corner. So when you dial up these blitzes, rush and and uh, and coverage go together, but. They don't trust these guys on the outside to play bump man press to let that rush get home. So they're blitzing, but they're still trying to play zone underneath. So the quarterback's doing a good job of of finding his hot reads and getting the ball out, and the coverage isn't tight enough to hold up. You know, so they were able to complete. They were able to beat the blitz a bunch of times. And that's a credit to them. They had a good plan. You know, um, but a few times they got home. And you know, but it it was a decent rush game. But overall, I would agree with you that the sacks are down, and that's been a big difference. But then you know you can't you can't be behind because most of your sacks are going to come late in the game when you have a big lead, and those teams have to throw every time. So they're just not playing good complementary football that way. They're not helping. You know, the offense turns it over. Mm-hmm. They get down ten early. You're not going to rush anybody when you're down ten or twelve early. It's just not going to happen. Well, you mentioned that you know being behind and and they don't throw as much; they're running the ball more. But the other part is, when you're down to your sixth corner, the coverage isn't as good. They can throw the ball quicker. Absolutely, yeah. They got they got windows. That's what I mean. You're not you're and 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 for the most part, he's actually playing off the receivers. He's mm-hmm. giving them a cushion. He's allowing those completions because he's taking that. Po- it's a pick your poison. The reason they were able to drive, you know, for ten and a half minutes was they didn't challenge anybody. You know, they they didn't want the ball to go over their head, and then they're in the end zone. I mean, twice the Bucks scored and cut it to a one score lead, and both times Washington answered with a touchdown. So, you know, they they don't have the confidence in their in their guys back there. They're just trying to keep the ball in front of them, and if they do, they're happy about it. Like you know, if you have to keep it in this case nineteen plays, 
Very is it matched the longest drive of the season in the NFL, 19 plays. Very few times will you see a team hold the ball 12, 13, 14. If the the more snaps you take, something bad's going to happen. You know, you're going to have a turnover, you're going to have a fumble, you're going to have a sack, pressure, you, you know, something bad's going to happen. Very few teams can hold the ball for 12 and 14 play drives. So, they managed to do it, but it, it's rare, you know, and yeah, it was um it was just I mean again, they got ahead. They they got took advantage of, of penalties and turnovers and it, it, when you're swimming uphill against an NFL team on the road, it's tough, man. Well, Craig in Vegas had tweeted, it was more of some comments than questions, but he says, I know the Bucks defense has injuries, but they've yet to make a key stop in the fourth quarter of a close game. Other than the Dallas game when they held them to three on the last drive, I can't remember one. Performance was lovey like Sunday versus the slant routes. Yeah, and again, that's you know when you talk about love, you're talking about a lot of cover two. Now that you know Washington played cover two and the game plan worked, you know they play you're, the the Bucks are seeing a lot of soft zone, and they're going to see it because they've got dynamic players on the outside that they don't want to go over their heads. And the one or two times that they did um, get some man coverage, I mean Mike beat it for a forty yard touchdown. Tom saw him. They had a coverage bust on Jalen Darden for twenty five or thirty yards. So those are really the only two deep shots that they hit. The rest of them, I don't think they had anything over 15 yards. And, you know, again, the leading guy, the leading target was Leonard Fournette, who had nine targets and eight catches for very few yards. So, you know, Tom was – we talked about this yesterday. He got blasted on the first third down throw. Absolutely blasted. And a 44-year-old quarterback that takes a hit like that in the first series – he ain't about holding on to the ball the rest of the day. He's just not. And, you know, as Arian said, no quarterback is. So, you know, if you want to have a better game plan, protect the guy. All right, Peter had emailed us. He says, is there a chance that we can get Monty Kiffin to come in and break down the cover two for the current regime? This is directed at Byron Leftwich, not Todd Bowles. How is it that NFL offenses seem to be caught off guard by a two-deep safety look? I still remember when the Tampa 2 suddenly became taboo – where half the NFL abandoned it overnight. All the experts claimed that it was now obsolete. The NFL had figured it out. Then the 3-4 became the new rage. Everyone seems to run it these days, and now nobody can figure out the two zone. Everything is so cyclical. Should the Bucks just go ahead and draft a running back in the top five overall just to get ahead of the curve? <laughs> it's true, though, man. That's what the league is. The league is cyclical. That's exactly right. And I would think Byron Leftwich is old enough since he played in that era that he would remember how to attack a cover two. But the cover two is kicking their butts right now. You know who else it's bothering? The Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> um, Patrick Mahomes, until this last game, didn't have the patience. And, you know, the interesting thing about, like, you know, you have to force your will on teams. Like, teams are going to, you know, the great thing when, when Tony Dungy and Monty Kiffin uh, and those guys ran that, it was like, we do what we do. They didn't care who they played. You know, they got so proficient at it. And it wasn't just like, you know, too deep, too deep, too deep. They actually were more multiple than people give them credit for. But that was their base defense, right? That was what they were known for. But they, they not every, a lot of people ran too deep. I mean, it goes back to the Pittsburgh Steelers days and Chuck Knoll. But, you know, no one ran it as well. I mean, when you have a defense named after you, when they call it the Tampa 2, you're doing it at a level that no one else can do it. You know, you didn't invent it. It was already out there for years and years, but when you're when you're named for the defense, that means that you're you're doing something that no one else can do, and you know they they were able to 
you know, able to master it. Now, when Lovey Smith was here and didn't have any players, you know, they weren't very good. The Tampa two was a death sentence. You know, it was like you've got to get pressure on the quarterback. I think what has happened now because of the rule changes, okay, um, you know, it it's very difficult to hit a receiver over the middle of the field. When guys would come over the middle of the field and there's always, you know, that you, you need you needed the Mike linebacker and passing downs would have to drop to cover the deep middle, right? So you needed a guy that could turn and run, Hardy Nickerson, Shelton Quarles. But when you would throw a ball, slant, uh, dig route, whatever, over the middle of the field, those safeties like John Lynch and those guys would saw you in half. Well, now you can't do that. So you've got tight ends, running backs, receivers running through these zones, and they're fearless, you know, because they know they're not going to get blasted. It's, you know, it's not like Jack Tatum's out there anymore or Ronnie Lott. You can't do that. So, you know, I, I think teams have a lot less fear. But when you're going to play the Bucks or the Chiefs and you've got the kind of talent they have outside and you know that Bruce Arians wants to, you know, uh, no risk it, no biscuit. He wants vertical routes, and he's going to try to beat you in five plays, you know, 80 yards. Then teams are going to stay in the zone and say, you know what, you're going to have to work harder for that. So how do you counter it? And this is how the league is cyclical. You run the football. And and most quarterbacks and offensive play callers are not, they're not patient enough to do that. They want to make a big play. They want to make it now. You know, quarterbacks – they're giving you, you know, they're giving up all this real estate underneath. Like you could throw to that running back and get six yards all day long, okay. And if he slips a tackle, it's fifteen, right? And he, but if he if he gets an angle on the safety, it's twenty five. So you have to have the patience and the discipline as the quarterback to say, okay, all right, you want to play cover two? And I've done this routine a million times. If Brady sees the game this way, Brady doesn't. He don't care if he throws for three hundred or five touchdowns. He just He's going to throw the open guy, the right guy, based on coverage, right? So you play to cover two. We're going to run the ball. Why? Well, because you're looking at a seven-man front, you know, and you can block that up. And so your safeties are back. If we get to the sec- we get through the second level, we can grind this out for ten, eight, ten, you know, yards, maybe six, seven, eight yards of carry. So when that when that works, and, and you pound the ball successfully. What happens? Now they got to bring a safety down, okay? Now, now, now they can't stop the run in the, with their front seven. So they bring a safety down. Now you got single high. Okay, now we can throw the ball down the field because that safety, I can influence him. I can look him one way, right, and then come back the other way to the other receiver who's got man coverage on the outside. So now your deep passing game is working. Same thing with, like, you know, corners are playing inside. Where am I throwing it? I'm throwing it outside. they got inside leverage. I'm throwing it to the sticks. They're playing outside leverage. I'm throwing it inside. That, and that's how Brady sees the game, and he manipulates the game based on the defensive rotation. And what he got was what he saw, which was they're giving us all this real estate. We're taking it until we can get them out of it. And and then I'm going to strike them. You know? So that's sort of what's going on. It, 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 is, it is funny, though. I don't think you're going to see teams draft a running back and just grind it out, you know, um, you know, let the guy carry it 400 times a year or whatever. There's not too many of those teams that, that are still doing that. Although I give you the Tennessee Titans and King Henry when he was when he was still chugging along. They're, Vrabel's happy to do it. You know, Vrabel, Vrabel's style at Tennessee, and, and they've beaten six playoff teams, by the way, this year, mm-hmm. 
which is incredible. I'm telling you, I've seen those guys. Vrabel doesn't care who he – Vrabel's one of these throwbacks. Like, he doesn't care who they play. He doesn't care what that other team across – because – and even with even with uh, Derrick Henry out, they still their, – their, their function still travels, right? You just need a running back who's, who's good, and there's a lot of running backs that are good. I mean, no one in the NFL is a bad player. So he, the guy's not King Henry, but regardless of who they play, they're going to be physical – they're going to run the football. Um, you know, they're going to play their brand and their style, and and it it it, 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 it translates against anybody they play. They're not chameleons. They just line up and they're going to whip you. His deal is we're going to whip you. We're going to whip the man in front of us, and if we whip the guy in front of us, then we're going to win. And they do it on every single play, and it's it's one of the reasons why they're. I think, from what I've seen, I think they're going to the championship game, if not the Super Bowl. That's that's how much I, I respect what the Titans have done this year. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, you spoke about running backs, and Tommy had tweeted us. Looking back at the 2020 Bucks draft, do you think Keyshawn Vaughn, drafted in the third round, was a wasted pick? Well, it, it, it could turn out that way, yeah. Um, I don't think taking a running back in the third round is bad. I don't know about Vaughn's skill set because, you know, he's had some guys in front of him. I mean, you know, it was Ronald Jones, and he was going to rush for 1,000 yards, and then they added Fournette, who was sulking, but then he became playoff Lenny. So what do you do? You bring back Jones and Lenny, and now you say, well, we need a receiving running back, so you go get Giovanni Bernard. Because, again, it's Tom Brady. If this team was just one of those teams that was developing and a young quarterback and, say, Kyle Trask was here, Maybe you can make something out of Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, but he just hasn't had the opportunity. And that that happens in this league to running backs that aren't, you know, first first round guys. And not many teams want to draft a running back in the first round. But I think Vaughn has gotten better. We just simply he can't get on the field because of who's in front of him. That's not his fault. You know, that's that's just a sign of how good this team is. Uh there's probably, you know, twelve teams in this league where he'd be playing a lot at least as a rotational number two. Um, so we don't, we just don't have enough tape. We don't have enough examples. I still think they like him. Um, and he may be labeled a bust because he's got no attempts and no numbers and, you know, is trying to make his, his money on special teams and help the team any way he can. But he's also the only running back under contract next year. <laughs> so, you know, if, if Ronald Jones, I suspect, won't be resigning because he didn't get to play, you know, we'll see how the rest of the year goes. And Fournette could be back, but at what rate? Um, you could be seeing some more of Keyshawn Vaughn in 2022. But for right now, you know, he's, what, fourth on the depth chart. And if you're fourth on the depth chart, you're pl- if you're playing on Sunday, it's because you're on special teams. They're not, they're not, have, they're not giving you a helmet when, when you're the fourth running back because you'd have to get really two guys or three guys hurt before you would play a lot. So you've got to make it on special teams, and that's kind of what Vaughn is doing right now. You can't, you know, 
is he a bad player because he's not playing, or does he just have really good players ahead of him? You know, that's a different that's a different scenario. I think they like him still. That's my and I think he's improved, but you won't know that until he gets his chance, and it might be with another team. Who knows? All right, Harlan had tweeted. It's more of a comment, but it says, perhaps if we brought back the ping-pong table, it would improve the receiver's hand-eye coordination so they wouldn't play patty cake with the football. <laughs> the old ping-pong table, man. Ah, that was a story. You want to talk? You think Tom Brady's press conference got a lot of news coverage? <laughs> Let me tell you, that ping-pong table, man. You know, it was fun. You know, people were like, why do you have to go in the locker room anyway? A bunch of naked guys dressing. Mm, okay. What was interesting is we were invited in there and have been for the last 30 years until COVID uh, for 45 minutes on Wednesday and Thursday, right? Friday, we got them off the field. Of course, we're there. We were in the locker rooms after the games. And, you know, for, just from the standpoint of, like, seeing guys every day, and I mean, like, being able to, like, talk to them, not just about football, but about their wives, their foundations, and, and really just being able to step back and see, you know, how they compete. Like, they had little Nerf hoops in there and, you know, uh, but the ping pong thing, man, there were some serious players. And, you know, our job was to be the ball boys. Like, it's like at Wimbledon, we were perched at the net running a cry. Like, the, the, you know, no matter where you were in the locker room, invariably a, a ping pong ball would come slamming up against you. Um, so we would fetch it and underhand it, and they start again. That That was fun. But I remember, uh, and really I think locker rooms, most teams look at locker rooms as that's the player's domain. You know, you'll rarely see a coach go into, a, into the locker room, like almost never. If he ends, if he does come in, he pokes his head in and is trying to get some guy out of there for some particular reason. But the locker room is entirely the player's domain. And, you know, I mean, look, when you go to work, you know, this work is unlike any. You can't really compare it to what you do in an office or at home or whatever. Um, you know, these guys have some time, some downtime where they have to eat, get taped, shower, whatever they're doing for practice. And it's just a way to unwind. You know, you got some downtime. So I don't, it, to me, it didn't, it didn't lessen their ability to prepare because it was their time. I never understood why people were so upset. Oh, get the ping pong tables out of there. I don't, even a coach, like, really? You think that's why you're losing on Sunday because you get freaking ping pong tables in the locker room? Look, I got news for you. They got a whole player's lounge. They got pool tables there. They got video games. You should see One Buck Palace, man. It's Everyone should get a chance to get a tour of that building when, they, when the COVID thing is over because it's spectacular. And, you know, the idea is you make it as homey as possible because you want your players to stay there. You want them to spend time there. You want them to watch film there. You want them to eat meals there. You want them to work at their craft, and you got to provide all the releases that they would need in order to do that. And that facility is as good as any in the NFL. And they've got stuff for players to do. So whether the ping pong table is in the locker room or you walk across the hall and you've got video games and pool tables, they've got places where they can hang out and chill and unwind. Uh, And most of us in this country, you know, try to take breaks or lunch breaks or whatever and be able to do that ourselves. So um, it doesn't, I never understood that story. And and there were some coaches who didn't want it, absolutely didn't want it. You know, Pete Carroll kind of started all this stuff too. Like Pete Carroll, when the Seahawks went to a couple of Super Bowls and they won one and they lost on the awful Malcolm Brown interception when Brady won that Super Bowl uh, on the goal line, um, 
everybody started copying sort of some of the elements that Pete Carroll brought. One of them was competition like Wednesday or Thursday or whatever it was. They would compete in basketball. And they would shoot baskets and do different stuff and, and ping pong and all this stuff. The other one was, and the Bucks have gotten away from this, but for about five years they did it every day, was they blasted music during the entire practice. Blasted it. Rap music, you know, whoever was in charge of the of the selection that day. And you practiced with this music. I was like, this is, this is like a nightclub. Like, what's going on here? Well, Pete Carroll and others figured that, you know, you're going to have distractions in a game, whether it's crowd noise or you want guys to concentrate, so you wanted to provide different stimulus for them. And he thought it was better. You know, whether it's the downtime, it makes it more enjoyable, or you just have to, you know, be a little more focused in because they're blasting music at you and you gotta you got to lock in and try to do your assignment. So teams all around the NFL started doing that, all around the NFL. And the Bucks now for the last, what, three years, they've stopped it. They don't. They don't play music out there. They have crowd noise when they need it, but they don't do it. So even that has you know sort of swung back to the old school days, which is interesting to me. All right, Mike tweeted us, and he had a question. He said, if you have an untimed down, is it legal to call a timeout? What clock are you stopping? This is over my pay grade, man. I don't, I don't know the answer to this. Do well, there's still a play clock. I mean, you still have to get the play off in you know the 25 or – you know, so what is, what's the question? If you have an untimed, untimed down, down, so you get penalty on the last play of the game, so then you have a you know one more play to go that's untimed, and this happened recently. Can you call timeout? Yeah. yeah, if the play clock's running down, you can. Yeah, you call timeout because you see you know you see yeah. what formation they're yeah, in. Yeah, if you still have a timeout, mm-hmm. you 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 yeah okay, I can answer that. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. So okay, just a question he had for us. So. Yeah. So so if it's an untimed down, I'm just going to assume that this scenario is one where there was a defensive penalty. And mm-hmm. there's no more time on the clock. It's zero zero zero. Yep. Um, can you call a timeout even after there's no time? What are you stopping? Well, what you're stopping is the play clock because you're gonna have 25 seconds, you know, uh, to huddle, get that playoff. And if you don't snap it within those 25 seconds, they're gonna penalize you. Um, and so, in that scenario, if you had a timeout left, yeah, you can use that timeout, go back to the sidelines, come back out still have a new play clock with 25 seconds, and then it's still an untimed down in that there's no time on the game clock. But the play clock is still – there's still going to be 20. You can't huddle up for a minute and a half to call your final play. Um, so that's what the untimed down timeout would come into play. I don't I don't know another scenario where you would do that, mm-hmm. um, but untimed downs are usually end of game or end of half situations yep. that end in a defensive penalty. All right, Les had uh, tweeted, and we'll switch sports here. He says, the Rays like to wait for the free agency frenzy to die down then sort through the value bin to sign some vets on one-year deals. So with this pending lockout help or hurt them? If it goes until February, it might be tough to get a veteran pitcher ready for day one. Hmm. I haven't thought about that. Um, I would think it would affect a lot of things. I mean, just the whole schedule of stuff, right? I, I don't know. Uh, that's it, it depends on you know okay so if it goes to february are you starting opening day still at the end of may or march early april or are you pushing it back i mean you know the one thing you know during covid hockey did less of a you know didn't do any preseason games and yeah. i think the nba did but baseball you've got to ramp pitchers arms up you can't right. just yeah go whenever from, they okay, start contract sign we're you know in one yeah, week we're no. we're going 
They'll need time. Yeah, whenever they whenever they settle that dispute, there'll probably be about what would you say, Steve? Two or three weeks? Oh, I I bet it's four. Maybe or five. longer. I, I mean, four or you're five, trying to yeah. get you got to get pitchers' arms ramped up. I mean, yeah. But free agency, you're not, you know, you're generally not trying to to sign a guy for the first week of the season. I mean, that's that's usually a long term. Mm-hmm. You're looking at it short and long term. So, yeah, I don't know how that would affect your your designs on guys. Now, the way the Bucks or the Bucks, the way the Rays do it is they are bargain hunters, and so they're not going to be part of that first wave, right? Mm-hmm. Of of guys bidding on on you know free agents that make. $200 million. They're not going to be in that that group anyway. Well, we saw Noah so Syndergaard just signed a one-year deal with the Angels for $21 million today. Whew, man. Wow. $21 million a year, right? No, it's a one-year deal. It's a one-year deal he signed with the Angels. I know, but I'm just yeah. still... Can you get by, Noah? And that's probably... He's probably thinking I, I should get more. I mean, he's probably thinking, you know, some of these guys are getting $30 million, you know, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I... I I think it's going to extend the timetable when they would sign guys because I, I don't think teams, you know, until they have an agreement, I don't think yeah. teams are going to be looking to make, I, you know, binding agreements. I don't think a pending lockout or strike or, you know, whatever is going to happen impacts the Rays directly yes. as far as the timing. I think more what's going to impact them is what's agreed to in the collective bargaining agreement. Yes. You know, are they extending, are they, you know, taking off arbitration years is – uh are they changing revenue. the luxury yeah. tax? Right, luxury and, tax, and, right. And things like that. That's going to impact way more yeah. what they sign or who's of you know maybe not who's available, but what they sign and how they look at their team more than just the timing of a lockout when the season starts. Yeah. Follow the money. Absolutely. All right. Michael had tweeted us. He says of the state schools, which football coach is most likely to return and who is the least likely to return? Talking college football, of course. Well, when we do this podcast, I think they've decided there's no media availability for football at the University of Miami. So, Well, they they got rid of the AD. Okay. So they're looking for a new athletic director now, which that can One be bad think, news for coaches. That's what I'm thinking. It could be bad news for their head coach. Um, Norvell's okay. I, I think he's f- safe. I think Jeff yeah. Scott's safe. I think Scott's okay. Gus Malzahn's safe. I think Malzahn's okay. I think Miami's going to have a new head coach, and I think Florida's going to have one too. Oh, we know Butch Davis is leaving FIU. Yeah, well, he came out and (laughs) gave them a nice parting (laughs) gift. Hey, man, they wouldn't even let us recruit. (laughs) Actually, maybe Willie Taggart's the most safe school in the coach. How about that? It's been a bad year for Florida football, man. <laughs> I mean, and really, if you add the the Dolphins and the Jaguars yeah, to yeah, that, yeah, the only the only team that plays football in the in, in the state right now are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The rest of them are all having horrible times of it, man. Which is weird to me because, I mean, Florida, Texas, California, right? Ohio, Michigan, right? It, I mean, can I have, did I miss one of the, the top recruiting states in that? Georgia's sentence? up there now too, but yeah. Georgia, okay, I'll give you that. But I mean, really, all through the South, okay, you know. But but particularly Florida, right? Florida, I mean, Florida. Mm-hmm. Howard Snellenberger, you know, and those and Jimmy Johnson would build a fence around, you know, Dade and Broward County, and they beat the crap out of everybody. There was enough players down there that they filled up a rosters at Florida State and Miami. That's what made that game yeah. so great. Mm-hmm. Well, Bobby Bowden was good at that too. Yeah, 
I don't get it. Like these guys are going to Alabama now, <laughs> you know, they're going to Georgia. Like you got these state schools got to keep these kids home. That's the, I mean, there's plenty of talent here. Jeez. Mm-hmm. I watch every game you see big 10 sec Wisconsin's got a bunch of Florida kids, you know, it's they're here. You just got to keep them here. You know, I don't get it. All right. We'll end on this today. And Greg had tweeted, Says, when is Tom Jones going to grace us with his presence, or has Katie Couric offered him a better gig? Well, you know, um, I don't talk to Tommy much anymore. Uh, that's a sore subject, actually. You'll have to ask him about that. But um, last chance, last time I talked, I think, uh, I think he was mentioned by Katie Couric as one of the newsletters that she reads. Mm-hmm. In an interview she did, she mentioned Tom Jones. By name. And I can only think that he did such a good job with the bottle of wine and handy wipes that he gave her that time, which sounds like a good Saturday <laughs> night for most of us, uh, that, you know, she is forever indebted to him. And, and I, I really think that he's still trying to become sort of a personal valet for Katie. That's based on all that I've heard about Tom. you got to have uh, life goals, I mean. Right. And, and you know, he's getting older. So he's looking for, you know, it's either Amazon or Katie Couric. And I think he's leaning towards Katie pretty heavily here. So I would say keep an eye out, you know, see if that newsletter is going to be around much longer. Um, but if it doesn't work out with Katie and he wants to come back on this podcast, he'll have to beg me first. But if he does that, we'll consider it, you know. And he reads a lot of books about ex- existentialism. Existential, I can't even say it. Existentialism, which is another word for I'm not doing anything I don't want to do. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it, but that's... No, Tom Tom just asked to step back and, and do some less on it. He had a lot of things going on. So What? Uh, you didn't tell me this. I didn't? No. You've been you've been talking with him around behind my back. I haven't talked to him. Uh, it's been a couple. This is weeks. breaking news it's to me. A couple me. weeks. Oh, okay. actually, I haven't talked to him. Probably I've texted wow. him a couple weeks. The things before. you learned. I'm yeah. glad they asked the questions. Maybe I should file a mailbag question. Well, once I wanted in a while. to make sure that you know we answered all these questions 100 percent correct. So, okay. Well, if that's what happened, first I know about it. What do I know? Just have a podcast. No, he didn't tell me why I wanted to say. It may have been to become Katie Kirk's valet. I, mean. uh, I think it's personal. I don't know. I think it's personal. But we'll leave it at that. Hopefully, Tommy will be back soon. You know what we need? The Rick and Tom show. That's what we need. No, we that don't. That sounds like that. a pretty good idea. Maybe, maybe somebody should put that on the radio. Somebody should probably put it on. I think talk radio would, be, would benefit greatly. In these areas. That's a great I, idea. I think someone ought yeah. to figure it out. Discover it. To, yeah, Tommy Chuck. Um, okay, so uh, let's see. We'll have Matt Baker. We're going to talk a little college football, right, this week, as we always do. Yes. There's bound to be some more fallout from that 70-point performance against um, well, Sanford. So, so so you're going with the pod, The glass half full, 70-point performance. Hey, we won, man. I don't know why everybody is on Mullen. They won. Isn't the object of the game to win the game? You play to win the game. Hello? Hello? He should have gone all Herm Edwards on those people. You know? He should have absolutely – I would have channeled Herm Edwards. They came in and go, Coach, 
Coach, 50, you give up 50 or 45 or whatever to Sanford? I mean, what does this say about your program? And I would have gone full head Herm Edwards at that point. Hello, you play to win the game. You play to win the game. And that's all I would have said. I'd have kept repeating it, man. It would have been like Allen Iverson, you know, but it would have been like in the Herm Edwards voice, you know, just keep saying it. Practice, what are we talking about? You play to win the game. We won the game. That wasn't enough for people. but And then walk off after a minute 45. <laughs> and then leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they, it could be like Don Shula. Don Shula used to go through the whole game with you. It was terrible. I don't want that either. Don would come in and says, well, we won the toss, and then, uh, uh, you know, we, we we liked to receive, and they kicked off, and we got the ball, and we, we got a couple first downs, and then uh, we punted, and then they – it's like, Don, John, Don, I just saw the game. I don't want to relive. You don't have to give me the play-by-play. Just tell me what you thought about what happened out there. But, um, yeah, this, coaches are funny, man. So are quarterbacks, it turns out. <laughs> I'm trying to think. That might have been the – like, I've done this a while. There's been some short, snippy press conferences before. That That's probably the shortest anybody's ever been up there, as a, uh, certainly a quarterback. We've had some short moments with quarterbacks, but that one, mm, that one might have been it. That was really brief, very brief. So, anyway, uh, check us out tomorrow. Matt Baker will be on the podcast. Of course, we'll get you ready for Bucks, and uh, we got an extra day, extra bonus day at practice today. Uh, but it'll be uh, the Bucks hosting the New York Football Giants on Monday Night Football. Dun, 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 be, dun. Is there going to be a Manning cast that night? Manning Night Football. How probably? could they not do one with Tom Brady? Got to do one with Tom Brady. I mean, they got so much love for Brady, and then Eli will be throwing. Yeah, I beat him twice in the Super Bowl. We'll hear that a million times. That'll be good. Yeah, when I played so, for the Giants, we beat you know Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, this is what we did against Brady. We just we just hit him early, like like Washington did last week, and he folded like a cheap tent. No, I don't know what I don't know what the Mannings will say. They have a lot of respect, and it's really funny. Um, not funny, but but. Uh, Sort of ironic how they were such rivals and they're such good, you know, they're pretty, not good friends, not like, it's not like they vacation together, like they don't do that, but they have such respect for each other, Manning and Brady, that, um, you know, they're not rivals now. You know, they're they're actually, they have so much respect for each other, um, which we saw when he went to the, you know, Hall of Fame uh, for Peyton's seven-minute speech. <laughs> well, they're not rivals now until Tom Brady starts to do a TV show and then, you know. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right now, catch, right now they're in different careers. I don't know if you guys caught you. It was on Tuesday night, but catch the first episode of uh, Man in the Arena. Tom Brady breaks down his 10 Super Bowls. I got to wait to the last one so we can see what happened, what really happened the year that he won it for Tampa. It'll be fun. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for the mailbag questions. Uh, money back if you didn't uh, get the answers 100% correctly. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.